here we go. You are listening to Wednesday's Law and Gospel Study on CFW Walther's wonderful lectures on law and gospel. Uh, today is Wednesday, August the 12th, in the year of our Lord, 2020. We're not doing it on the basis of the 25 principles that CFW Walther talks about, uh, the last 21 being ways in which we misunderstand law and gospel. We are taking a look at the ninth way, or I should say the ninth thesis that talks about how law and gospel are not rightly distinguished. CFW Walter writes, you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God. If you point sinners who have been struck down and terrified by the law toward their own prayers and struggles with God and tell them they have to work their way into a state of grace, that is, do not tell them to keep on praying and struggling until they would feel that God has received them into grace. Rather, point them toward the word and the sacraments. Now, we're taking a look at the fourth evening that CFW Walther talked about this thesis. It's the 17th evening lecture, February the 6th, 1885. And what he's really going to deal with is the whole matter of absolution. But as is his custom, he begins by kind of prefacing it. He reminds us of what he said the previous week, that in 1529, there was a colloquy at the Marburg, uh, Luther and his followers and Zwingli and his followers. Zwingli, part of the Swiss. Now, the Swiss made one concession after the other in order to try and agree with the Lutheran position until there was a halt when the two groups started to discuss the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. Now, the Swiss were willing to adopt Luther's terminology concerning the substantial presence of the true body and true blood of Christ, except that they understood it as a, a spiritual presence because they believe that the body and blood of Christ are up in heaven where he is ascended and therefore could not possibly be in with and under the bread and the wine. Luther soon noticed that the Swiss were not acting honestly. And in fact, his suspicion was well-founded. Six months later, Zwingli overthrew the entire agreement and denied every concession that had been made at Marburg. So what did Luther say to Zwingli? Your spirit is different from ours. This really bothered the Swiss because what did Luther mean when he spoke those words? He said, the difference between you and us is this, your spirit is alien to ours. Kind of reminds you of 
when Peter told Jesus, you will not be crucified, I will protect you. Get thee behind me, Satan. So C.F.W. Walther summarizes that the Swiss lacked the spirit of childlike simplicity, which takes the Father in heaven at his words. In fact, he says, the Zwinglian, Calvinist, and Unionistic churches, they're nothing less than the rationalist spirit. And reminds us of Nicodemus, when Jesus said to him in John 3, you need to be born again. How can these things be, says Nicodemus? I do not understand it. That goes against reason. On the other hand, the spirit of Luther and of the entire genuine Lutheran church is a spirit of childlike simplicity. It's a spirit of faith, that spirit that submits to the word of God and takes human reason captive under the wisdom from on high. So when we read the Bible as Lutherans, uh, particularly in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we don't doubt what the Bible has to say. And we kind of quote from him, Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared. And we say, you are almighty and with you, impossible is nothing. That reminds us of Mark 10, when the rich man says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus later tells his disciples, for a person to think he can be saved by doing works, that is impossible. But salvation is possible with God. So the characteristic mark of the church as understood by Lutherans is unquestioned submission to the divine word. And therefore, if you belong to a church that really questions the Lord's Supper, etc., this is a church that should not be trusted. So, Protestant churches are outside the pale of the true Lutheran church because they do not agree that the way to forgiveness of sins is by the means of grace. And they reject absolution as pronounced by the pastor. Why? They believe that the Lutheran church has been reformed the least. Now, that's a surprise to us that Luther starts the Reformation, but they were reformed the least because of how much we retain from the Roman church. And for proof, they take a look at our clerical robes, the wafers we use at communion instead of ordinary bread, the crucifix on the altar, candles in the church, the chanting of our ministers at the altar, making the sign of the cross, 
and bowing the head at the mention of Jesus. Now, we do not deny we do these things, and we do not deny that that is what the Roman Catholic Church often does in worship. What we deny is these are sins. They're innocent ceremonies, Walther says. Now, no congregation should bind a person's salvation to them, yet it also does not allow them to be pronounced as sin. Uh, there's a, a word, Walther doesn't use it here, it's called adiaphora. Those are practices that can be done in the liturgy that are neither commanded nor forbidden by God. For example, sometimes the pastor faces the people when, for example, he announces the absolution of their sins. Sometimes he faces the altar, and churches may do that differently. Well, those that make a difference doesn't mean that they are sinning. The most offensive remnant from the papacy, and remember, it's the papacy that is the Antichrist, not Roman Catholic members. The most offensive remnant, Walther says, is our understanding of absolution. In fact, Walther says that they have made a total misrepresentation of our doctrine. Uh, here's what uh, the Roman church taught, that once we ordain a pastor, he is given a mysterious power that enables him to forgive sin. We are said to teach that absolution is his privilege so that sins are forgiven whenever an ordained pastor pronounces the words, your sins are forgiven. They assume that we regard these words to be without impact when pronounced by a layman. But the small catechism of Luther states clearly in the fifth chief part that the authority to forgive sins has been given to the church. Quote, the office of the keys is that special authority which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of repentant sinners and to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant occurs as long as they do not repent. Walther then summarizes this saying, <clears throat> it means that this authority has been given not to pastors, but to the church. Pastors are not the church. We're only servants of the church. Therefore, the keys do not belong exclusively to the pastors, but to the church, to every individual member of the church. And that kind of follows what we had read in Augustine. 
he says, in case of necessity, even a layman absolves and becomes a minister and pastor of another. In fact, he talks about a story where he makes this point. The story is about two men on a ship, one a Christian, the other a pagan. A big storm arises. Death was staring passengers in the faith, and they doubted they would be saved. The former pagans, one wish that he might receive the Holy Spirit before drowning, while the Christian craved absolution. So what did the Christian suggest? He suggested a plan by which both of their wishes would be fulfilled. He would baptize the pagan, and the pagan, then being a Christian, would then absolve the Christian. Both the baptism and the absolution were carried out and were acknowledged by a bishop who was also on the boat to be valid. Walther then goes into five, six reasons why absolution is based on the Bible. Number one, Christ took upon himself every sin of every sinner. Number two, he paid for that sin by his suffering, crucifixion, and death. Number three, by raising Jesus Christ from the dead, God the Father confirmed and put the stamp of approval on the work of reconciliation and redemption that Christ has finished on the cross. Number four, Christ commanded that forgiveness of sins should be preached to all people. That's what we call, by the way, the good news, the gospel. Number five, Christ issued a general command to his apostles and successors in office to preach the gospel. Yet he also commanded us to minister to each individual who desires forgiveness by offering this comfort, you are reconciled to God. And therefore, since it has been acquired for all by Christ, it can be offered to all. And number six, not only does a pastor have a special commission to proclaim it in a public worship service, but also every Christian, male or female, adult or child, is commissioned to do this. In fact, remember when Paul was baptized by a layman and received the gift of the forgiveness of sins? And also, there was a, a well-known understanding. It was in our old hymnal. It was called an emergency rite for baptism that lay people could do baptizing a child in an emergency in case the child was near death. 
this happened to me. Uh, one of my members phoned, the child was born, and there was a good chance the child would die quickly. And so the child was being helicoptered to another hospital. I drove there, but informed the father to baptize the child before he left from the previous hospital, which he did. And the child, by the way, got through the needed medical care at the other hospital and was okay. Now, part of the problem that Protestants have with Lutherans, they can't understand how a man, a human being can forgive sins. Isn't that only up to God? Well, Walther gives a parable. He talks about a rebellious uprising of an entire city against their sovereign Lord. They had killed the king's son and all the citizens had to pay for that crime with their lives. But then the king announced that he would be merciful and forgive everybody in town. You have been pardoned. Well, what would you think if these rebels were to say to the messengers, we do not believe you. The king has to come himself and make the announcement to make us believe it. Well, the pardon came through the messengers. Who would deny that that pardon was still valid, even though it wasn't the king coming to the city but sending the messengers because the pardon had been decreed, embossed, and sealed. This amnesty would be valid because it had been confirmed and circulated in the king's name and by his order. So when a Lutheran pastor, a human being, announces the forgiveness of sins. He does this by the explicit order of Christ. And remember that was the night of the resurrection. Forgive the sins of the penitent. Withhold forgiveness from the impenitent. Now, how do the Roman Catholics, because they do talk, at times about the forgiveness of sins. But here's how the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church goes. When a priest absolves, this power of forgiving sins has been vested in him because of his priestly ordination and the anointing with chrism that he received. The efficacy of this absolution doesn't lie in the command from God to absolve, but lies in the person's true contrition, confession, and then satisfaction for sins. All three of those things have to occur for the Roman Catholics to say a person has been truly absolved. Number one, it must be an oral confession. Number two, it must be by heartfelt contrition. 
And number three, it must be compensated by means of good works. That is, the priest tells him what they need to do in order to offset their sin. The Lutheran confessions contain none of these. The absolution is not taken from the ordination or the consecration of the pastor or a proper repentance and satisfaction of sins on the part of the person. Its efficacy is taken from the perfect reconciliation and redemption of Christ and from his command to preach the gospel to all people. For it is not the mere voice or word of the person who is standing there, but those words are commanded by God himself that they should be spoken, and it is God who forgives sins. So when a pastor says, your sins are forgiven, uh, Walther says, and Luther, it's just like God pronouncing these words. Absolution on the part of anybody would be not proper if it was not commanded by God. This was the assurance our forefathers had in the Reformation. Absolution proclaims the gospel for us. Why? Because it's basically shorthand for the gospel. That's wonderful. Also, Walter quotes Luther in the large catechism. Dear Father, forgive us our trespasses. It is not as though he did not forgive sin without and even before our prayer, but the purpose of the prayer is that we may recognize and receive that forgiveness that the Father promises. That's really a good understanding of the fifth position of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses. In fact, when Jesus had healed a paralyzed man and forgave him his sins, the scribes start up and charge him with blaspheming God by pretending to forgive sins. Who can forgive sins, they say, but God alone, Luke 5, 21. Christ does not say, oh, no, God did not give this power to people the way he gave it to me, but he assures us that the power was indeed given to all people. And therefore, when a Christian forgives someone else, that's wonderful. In the papacy, the idea of forgiveness is built on the teaching that grace is infused into people by some secret operation. That, that really is also what many of the Protestants believe. But 
By grace, it cannot be confused into people because it is the attitude of God outside of ourselves in heaven. The absolution is not infused, it is proclaimed. Now, a law-oriented preacher cannot do this because he keeps telling people, here's what you better do in order to be saved. Preaches people into despair and hell, while a gospel-oriented preacher lifts even the greatest sinner out of hell. So, Luther, if you ask what absolution and the keys affect, they do not base the forgiveness of sins on God's word and on faith on which they must be based, but they base your forgiveness on your contrition, your confession, and your satisfaction. These three things, notice faith is not one of the requirements. So here again, Walther points out how this thesis is important and that through the wonderful gift of forgiveness, we are saved. Tomorrow on Law and Gospel, we'll continue with worship nightmares with ourselves. God Listen bless you. Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.